Hallelujah. So we appreciate your giving online. We appreciate everybody that's here tonight. And we love you so much. And uh, Immokalee is in revival. I believe that. I believe that Immokalee is in revival. This is fun. This is really fun. It's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to be rubbing shoulders where we can't get in. But, you know, it is what it is for the time being. And we're enjoying ourselves. Uh, when I was a young man in my, I'm still a young guy too, right? In my 20s probably, I went to a big church in Fort Myers and the Lord may have told him to do this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to always say this and sound mean, but it was a big church and, uh, and so they had meals on Wednesday night family meals because they had a big fellowship hall do you know you it's amazing hundreds of people show up on wednesday night when they get fed (laughs) if you didn't hear it in the camera Corey goes what church is it so i can find out and go they probably start doing that but i don't know glory to god (laughs) i bet if i ask uh, for a vote which we have never voted in here over anything but i bet i could get a an affirmative vote from Corey to start Wednesday night feeding pro or you know <laughs> supper. Hallelujah. All right. Well, let's talk about um, a subject tonight that is, um, in some ways, it's elementary to some. There will be some things said in here that I think will take us to another level of understanding, and in uh, our growth. There's Jacoby. Hallelujah, we just said a prayer for your dad. Yes, ma'am. So there is uh, some good stuff in here beyond where uh, maybe sometimes we've heard and some real good repetitive stuff. This actually came from parts of it, not all of it, came from a really wonderful conversation I had with somebody that's very close to me and very mature. And uh, they'll recognize this. And I'm saying that because they'll, they'll recognize that, hey, we just talked about some of that. And uh, it was a great conversation, and I shared some of some things I have learned through the years. And uh, it helped them, it helped me to repeat it, and uh, it'll help me to repeat it to you in, in the f- fight of our faith, where we're going forward, winning this revival. So we're going to talk about aggressive faith and I just said aggressive faith 101. That's what I titled it because it's like, uh, I think we've got faith 101 already, that title. So this is kind of aggressive faith 101 and dash foundational, meaning it's just, this is foundational stuff. If you don't have this in your arsenal, um, you're not going to, you're going to come to places where you're going to get stuck in your faith. And so it's vitally important to have this is very much a part of your arsenal as anything else. I want to pray as I feel that. Father, in Jesus' name, I release the power of God. Your word is already anointed, but I pray the anointing that is in that word will begin to just saturate this place and those that are watching, those that will watch tomorrow in the days ahead. Let the truths that are coming out come out said the way that you want them said and hear and not, Father, we're asking that as we go forward that flesh won't speak from this pulpit, but wisdom and grace, and it will, that we will never be one degree off, but we will seek to find that place where we're in your perfect 
will and standing always. We thank you for your word tonight in Jesus' name. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28 together. We're not going to be there long. This is just a kind of a launching place. And it's uh, part of the, you know, the Great Commission. And um, As we're turning there and as we're getting there, I, I want to say this. And as you get there, I'll let you get there. And then I'll say this, 28, Matthew 28, 18. Um, the foundation, let me say this, this is very important. The foundation of aggressive faith, aggressive faith, is understanding true spiritual authority. If you can understand that and get it under, in your spirit, living out of your spirit. Hallelujah. How are we doing back there, guys? We're okay, good. When I see them, when there I see them close, I'm like, oh, God, maybe I shouldn't even, I should, I think I should put a curtain over the, yeah, yeah. Don't even look, yeah. Understanding, now this is the other part of it, I'll say this first part again, the foundation of aggressive faith is understanding true spiritual authority. Understanding the transfer of authority is foundational. What, what transfer? The transfer that Jesus made from himself to you. That is, if you can understand that and get that and carry that throughout every theme of your life, um, that's where it initiates aggressive faith. Not just timid faith, but very aggressive faith. So Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says this. And Jesus came and spake. Unto them saying, all power, everybody say all power. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, I'll pause right there and say this. I've said this before. Many of you understand this. Two words in the New, at least two words in the New Testament uh, for power. One is uh, exousia, which mean, means authority. And one is didymus, which means raw power. And that may be simplifying those two words, but it really is of a necessity to bring them down just to that essence. One's the authority, and that's what we see here, authority. What's authority, Pastor? Well, I'll, uh, I'll read the actual Greek, and there's probably expanded Greek definitions, but exousia here. So again, when Jesus said all power is, when he says that all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and then he says, and we'll read the rest of it, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that word power there is not didymus like Holy Ghost power. It's the word exousia, which means authority. And authority in the Greek, this word exousia, means privilege, i.e., meaning, for example, a force, a capacity, um, competency, freedom, mastery, human uh, potentate, um, token of control, delegation of influence, authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, and uh, that's probably enough. What it's saying there, now this is kind of in our vernacular, it's the God-given right 
God-given authority. You have a, if I can use this word, maybe it'll help, a license. You have a full invested license. Maybe that's a, 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 a small word. It is a small word for this authority, but it kind of gets another dimension of understanding over to our vernacular. In other words, it's been given to you the license or the right to exercise full power, which is Didymus power. So that authority has been transferred. When Jesus said, it's all been given to me in heaven and earth, but when he said, therefore, the word therefore is as if he was saying, it has been given to me, but therefore now it does not remain with me. Therefore, I give it to you. I'm transfer, I'm tra- now, therefore, as a result of what's come to me, I'm transferring and giving it over to you. Therefore, you go now, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. In other words, the baton is passed from his finished work over to us, and there is multiple scriptures that I could have listed and did not for the sake of time and us going on to other places in regards to the transference of that authority and that it's been, it's been uh, taken or it's been given from him to us. Jesus, and now I can hear this in Gary's voice, and it may not be verbatim, but he's taught on this so much. Jesus, the glorified man in heaven, has no authority on this planet himself except through his church body. We understand that. Jesus is in a seated place in heaven, but his body here on earth is us. And he cannot do anything sovereignly from that position unless you and I do it for him. When we stretch out our hands, he stretched out his hand. When we speak his word, he, he releases his power to, to come and do it. What is accomplished in power is that by the direct authority of each individual in the church. And that's just a reiteration of what I just said. In other words, whatever ever will ever be accomplished will not be because of an authority that he has in heaven, but because of an authority that we have here on this earth. That's vitally important in aggressive, uh, an aggressive faith that just is not in a, again, and a timid kind of um, position on everything, sickness, disease, revival, everything part of your life, finances. Now let's turn over to Romans chapter 10, continue this study. Romans, Acts, and Romans 9, 10. We're going to start at verse 1, but before we do, if you'll just look up and follow me for just a moment. Let me give you the context for Romans 10. Um, If you are a Romans reader, you'll understand some things about Romans. Romans really has a very, it's very compatible to, you know, Sunday we talked about the book of Hebrews, and I gave a contextual kind of where Hebrews was at so we could understand some things because it's important for me to say that again tonight that I want to give you the contextual value of Romans because we're not going to change 
what is being said, but we're going to put it in our vernacular or where we're at today, what's happening today. As far as where we stand as a church, as far as where we stand in revival and the things that are trying to come against you as revivalists, you do know, <laughs> I'm talking to you like you do, and I believe it's a, an absolute truth, that anything and everything that comes to you to just slap you down at this point is not just aimed at you. It's uh, aimed at revival. Because if he can get you discouraged, if he can get me discouraged, if he can get us one degree off, uh, we may not go into sin. That might not be the problem. It's just that it begins to be something that detours us from pull, making full investment in the authority that he has called us into. So these lessons are built for revivalists. They're built to make us all stronger and stronger. Now, if you're a Romans reader or a meditator, you'll know this, that all the way through to chapter 16, um, you know, he's, 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 he's establishing what we have become in Christ and, and uh, teaching us how that we've come out of a dead nature into a nature of life. We're not the old man, we're the new man. And, um, but in the middle, in, right in the middle of Romans, uh, there's kind of a parenthesis. And that parenthesis goes around chapter 9, 10, and 11. You know, he's speaking to Roman, I mean, he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles in the book of Romans. Uh, it is, you can find places where I, I can show you verses where he identifies both. But 9, 10, and 11, he kind of uh, doesn't pull out of there, but puts a parenthesis around it. And, and basically, those three chapters are specifically for the Jews um, to show them more or less the value in how that they came up from their pedigree, why God chose them, and they were chosen, as Dave used to say, as a client nation. They were supposed to be a client nation to all the earth, to teach the earth to live in righteousness, and their failings also were to teach uh, the whole earth um, the, the righteous judgment of God. And so, God takes these three chapters to speak specifically. He doesn't leave out all of us or the rest of the church, but he speaks specifically to the Jews in those um, three chapters. Well, remember that in the book of Hebrews, when he was speaking to the Jews, he was continually encouraging them, don't ever consider going back because there's nothing to go back to. Don't renounce Christ. Don't ever renounce. They're, they're putting pressure on you to renounce him. But there's nothing to go back to. The law is finished. Christ is it. It's, he's it, and he's higher than anything else. And uh, so the argument was there. Well, here in Romans 10, the verse that we're going to read, or a few of the verses that we're going to pick on here for just a little bit, carry almost that same argument. Like, you Jews that are being saved, understand this, staying saved is accepting all of everything wholeheartedly that Jesus did and accepting him with full persuasion that he's it and there's nothing else to look to. Then we're going to talk about our part in all this. So let's look at 
Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of the law. And, of course, he's still talking about those that are still under the law and haven't come into the kingdom. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Now this is the righteous. Now this is amazing. It's, it's amazing how he said this. The righteousness which is of faith, which the born again faith, not the letter of the law, but the born again faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. He said that, if you say that, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or, if you should say, who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? What, how, what is the voice of this faith that's in our heart? If you could turn up the volume and listen to the heart of this, listen to the heart or the voice of this heart of faith. I'm not talking about, now we're not talking about mountain moving faith. We're talking about salvation faith. We're talking about being born again, the faith that said, okay, I commit my life to Christ. Well, what is that faith constructed of? What does it look like? What is the voice of it and what is not the voice of it? Well, we understand this. The voice of it is not to say who, uh, is not to say who shall ascend into heaven. And we know also it's not to say who shall descend into the deep. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And what is that word? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In other words, if you totally commit to that, Jesus came, he died, God raised him from the dead, and for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to say salvation. Say not with thy, you know, we just went through that, say not with thy heart. So here's the thing. We have to understand this. Some of you do. We've went over this before. Some of you have no idea. Like, okay, why is he saying that they should not say in their heart? Why is that a, you know, by the way, who's ever run into any of anybody that is ever having a problem well, he says, it's say, don't say it in your heart. So he didn't say that it was being said out loud. But who of you have ever run into anybody that said, you know, I've really got a problem, Pastor. Yes, I can. Can I help you? I Can I pray with you? Yes, sir. I am so tempted. I am so tempted to say out of my heart to have some kind of confession that says, uh, who is it that's going to ascend unto heaven? And the other temptation is I keep hearing myself really tempted to say, who's going to descend into the deep? Nobody's ever approached me with those kind of temptations. <laughs> what he is simply saying here is this. For you Jews that are being saved, Christ is the finished work. 
the finished work of Christ was that he made a descension into the earth after his death. And the full payment was made when he, when he come up out of the grave and then when he ascended to the Father at the right hand. That completes his redemptive process. And it verifies, his ascension verifies that he is who he says he is. So he's saying, don't ever have this vacillation, you Jews. Don't ever allow it. Asking a, a question inside, he didn't say it was even being said. He was saying, don't ever let there be a question mark. A, kind of a tickle on the inside saying, um... I'm not really sure that he did all that. And I'm not really sure he's the one. This whole thing was to settle in their minds because they knew that a Messiah was coming. But this one that is called Jesus, the Christ that we know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was still being established as redemption versus the law. And he's saying to them, for you to question his his ascension, his descension, all that was the work of righteousness. All that was the work of salvation. It took all of that to redeem you back to the Father. For you to have any question of that begins to cause you to go into a place where you question what he did for you. Not, not just what he did for you, but the validity of whether he is the one or whether uh, what you've accepted is truth have you have you accepted real truth when this word of evangelism came to you but he says the word of faith is nigh you even in your mouth this is what you confess I, oh yes i believe that he is i confess that he is the christ i believe you, you said that he died for my sins yes sir he did well uh faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and uh of course that scripture is really about the faith that's being preached but it applies to everything the faith of the gospel that's being preached but he says say not in thine heart and uh, as i said when have we ever heard anybody saying the jews then had to conclude that jesus was the complete was the complete and finished work of god not another one that's coming redemption Let's talk about redemption, how, how complete it was, because for us to understand how complete redemption is helps us to understand what we're standing in and the authority that's been given over to us. So we have aggressive authority. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. I need your mercy. And I need your grace. I need your hand. Ephesians 1. We'll look at 1. Ephesians 1, 1. Let me say this. This is neat. This is really neat. Redemption was settled before Genesis 1, 1. Before he said, let there be light. In fact, we get a scripture here. We get words here that predate in essence it predates 1 1 what's Genesis 1 1 in the beginning was the, oh no that's John uh, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And, and, and God goes in, it goes into God said, let there be light. Do you ever contemplate those things? They're really neat. So God is light. So everywhere he's at, it's got to be light. But then he's standing there looking into darkness. So where's he at? He's, he's going to speak light into a universe and create billions of stars and galaxies that, in which we call a universe. And he, you know, he says, let there be light. And there was light. And by the way, the sun didn't even, wasn't even created then. Light just came into being. He's, he created light before he created the sun. So where's he at? Where's he, he's, wherever he's at's light, but he's speaking into dark. Okay, let's go on. But we're going to look at here at something that Christ was crucified and resurrected before, before Genesis 1.1. Ephesians 1.1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faith, faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according as he hath chosen us in him before, now look at this, before the foundation of the world, that word world there, there's a couple of words just like the word power has a couple of words attached to it, Greek words. This word world has a couple of Greek words at least attached to it. Um, there may be more, I, that may be, there may not be, that's the only two that I'm accustomed to. But the word cosmos here is the word, it means uh, planetarium, it means it means the earth. It means the actual physical world. According as he has, verse 4, chosen us, that's me and you, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now let's just think about that for a moment. Let's just contemplate it for just a minute. Before the foundation, in other words, before he built with his word, you know, spoke into existence, the earth, before that, the word says, he chose us in Christ. In other words, he chose, really, this is where people get all mixed up on predestination. He chose everybody, everybody, to be conformed to Christ. Now it's your elective. You elect whether or not you will be chosen in Christ. So he chose everybody, but for us to tell us that he chose us be us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame obviously in him was the christ which you know then uh he wasn't the jesus christ son that we know that came to earth but how that all played out we'll 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 probably never know we get a glimpse of it here but way before god ever said let there be light he saw, he saw everything. He saw man's creation. He saw man's fall. He saw man's redemption 2,000 years later. He saw us here all the way to the end of the age to when he comes back and changes this. Even after the millennial 1,000 years, he, sees it, he saw it all. 
So it's amazing. It's amazing that God loved. He just contemplated and said, you know, I'm not going to be surprised by the fall. I've already got a plan. I've already got a plan. His name is Jesus. He'll come. Before I ever create, create anything, I mean, this is, this is real simplifying it. I'm talking about Godhead stuff, and, and, and they're probably smiling and saying, okay, best you can do, son, that's good. But can you imagine God the Father turning to the Logos, the Word, in his form then and saying, you know, we both know what we want to do because we're one God. And, uh, but even as, uh, even as I'm thinking this, we're thinking this, it, they have to have a redeemer because you see this, as soon as we create them within, I think Genesis happened pretty quick, the fall. I think it really did. And, uh, cause <laughs> I'll be real nice. Adam and Eve, uh, as soon as they found out, um, as soon as Adam saw his beautiful wife, um, relationship started, and if, it, if the fall had not started, if it happened quick, she would have already been conceived. So something, you know, so anyway, that's neither here or there. But there was a plan. There was a plan. So if there was a plan and he saw Christ, and let's put him at the center of this plan right now, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, he saw, he saw us in Christ, and he saw this whole thing take place, and he saw us there in him so that the redemption was already in his heart complete before it ever happened. Isn't that wonderful? And if the redemption was complete, then all the authority that Jesus would turn over to us in future, in the future, once you and I, once he came and you and I got born again, that was already there in existence. It was already being prepared for. Okay, let's go on. Uh, you don't have to turn here. I'll just, this is more confirmation on this, this which happened from the foundation of the world. Gen, uh, Revelation 13, 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's not Christ. It's, that's the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life, uh, the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So, again, this is a confirmation that Jesus was in the heart of God, a real, it wasn't, this wasn't a figment of his imagination. He truly was slain. But it, I don't want just to, I don't want you to just see that the plan was intact. But if he was slain, if he was crucified, if he was resurrected, then his authority over to us uh, was already ready to be given the moment that it could be. I mean, it wasn't like afterthought. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. At least we're getting some good Bible study. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 23 together. Bless you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the miracles in Immokalee. Kingdom of God is coming. Has come. Has come. Look at verse 23. It's hard to find places to start in this. You just kind of pick a verse and, you know, um, I think 23 will be all right. 
It says, and it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is entered into the holy places made with hand. For Christ is not, not, not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, talking about the old tabernacle and that whole administration, but unto the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entering into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have uh, suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, watch this, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Did you see that part where it says the end of the world? And this word world here now is a different world than the found he was crucified before the foundation. This word world is the word eons. And the word eons, I could give you several words here, uh, an age, an extension, perpetual to, uh, by implication, uh, the world, especially a period, a, 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 it's basically a age in time, a specific time or an age. Um, so it's not talking about the cosmos. So again, let's read this. He says, but once, but now once at the end of the world, everybody say end of the world, the end of the world. How many, you know, this planet that we're living on has not been destroyed yet. We know that that in a sense is not the end of the world. What is he saying? Well, he's saying that everything culminated in Christ. That age, all age of first and foremost, sin, everything was put on him. All of everything that from the foundation of the world to that point in time, everything come to a conclusion in him. All redemption was concluded in him. Now, not only do we have the redemption from sin, but sickness, disease, and everything. So everything came to a point, and God says, that's it. That's the end of the world in that sense of the word. Well, we know it's not the end of the world as this physical world, but in that sense of word, everything concluded in Christ. All redemption and the authority for that redemption culminated in Christ through his finished work. The power of sin, sickness, and disease and poverty has completely and forever been defeated at the end of the world. This completed the work of Christ. There will never, we, we understand this, there will never be a reenactment. That's it. There will never be a start over or do over of what he did. Nothing else is necessary for the authority that he gave us to work in fullness of power. Okay, let's go over that authority again. So the authority is the right to do it. The power, the didymus, is the power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody's got to come and do it. The finger of God is the Holy Ghost. But you and I have the believer's authority. Okay, And so when we speak or when we lay hands on the sick, that authority that has been given to us doesn't come from a place of progression. It has already been given to us. 
Now, I will say this, and I've got this in my notes in a minute. There is a parallel truth in a progression of authority about growing sons, sons of maturity. The more that you grow in spiritual maturity. But I'm, I'm going to speak it, I'll say it this way, the believers, just the believers anointing or the believers authority that has been given to us has been given to us because of the finished work of Christ. Now, in just a moment, we'll go back to Romans 10 and talk about how that works with us. Well, we're right here at it today. Well, let me read this part. No, we just did. We just did that part that I want. Let's talk about today. Let's talk about the context of Romans 10. I'll read Romans 10, 6 again. You don't have to turn. Well, you're probably still there. No, you're in Hebrews. But Romans 10, 6 and 7 says this. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. <laughs> Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up uh, from the dead. And again, we said to them, the Jews, that made sense to what Paul was saying. He's like, okay, listen. Can it be any vacillation on the completion of this? He's done it. If you're, if you're wondering if this redemption has completely been served, uh, all question in your heart of whether or not this has been completed, that's not, the word, that's not the word of faith. The word of faith is in your mouth that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And he has ascended to the, the Father. That's what you have to speak. And you can't have an adverse inside heart wondering and questioning. That's the truth to them. Well, how does it speak to us today? Because I don't think any of you are wondering I don't know that he is the Christ. There may be another one coming. So I'm wondering, I'm saying, who's going to descend into the deep? That's, that question in your heart, would to bring, that, it would bring Christ up. In other words, it would say, that never happened. Or who shall, who shall ascend up, and I know I've got it reversed, but who, sh who shall ascend into the heaven? That would be to bring him down. If you're questioning, did, did he really ascend? You're saying, I don't know. That's to bring, his, to bring him down and make ineffective everything that happened as a result of that. It, it nullifies everything that happened as a result of that. Not only the redemption from sin, but sickness and disease and everything else. But here's where we come in. When we ask in our hearts, Jesus, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this, Lord? Do what? Well, in essence, that is to bring, that is bringing him down from heaven or bringing him up from hell. Without us realizing it, we are saying your work is not yet complete. We are saying that there is something left for him to do that is that he has unfinished business on earth. Jesus, when are you going to, Lord, you don't say this. We don't say this because we know we don't say it. But Lord, when are you going to, when are you going to, when are you going to heal me? Lord, when are you going to heal me? For me to ask him to come and heal me is to ask 
for a special privilege that goes beyond anything that he's already done for mankind. He cannot heal me. He cannot come and heal me because he already has. You see that? And if you think that's a play on words, you don't understand the, the very foundation of this. He can't come and heal you because you ask him to because he already has healed you. I think people in this church, you guys all came along real well, but the first time I started saying Jesus never told his disciples to pray for the sick. You can't find it in Scripture. You can't find it. The only thing you can find close to praying for the sick is in James when he said come ask him to call for the elders of the church and have them pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith was what we understand what Jesus gave to the disciples. He didn't tell them go pray for the sick. He told them go heal the sick. Go heal it. There's a big difference. Prayer often is asking. Not all prayer is asking. But if you go, if you go and say, <laughs> we, I hope we're all past this, and I'm not making fun. But if you go and say, Father, I'm asking you to heal. No, 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 no. Lord Jesus, we don't ask the Father to heal anybody. We release the authority of that healing that has already been given to us us and on planet earth that's the uh, that's the exousia you say well that's just a that's just a that's just a catch in the way no that's not just the way you think about it that's absolute in all truth he can't if i ask him to come and heal me he would say to me son i've already healed you now it's up to you to step into that authority and to put into make it happen exercise that authority I'll bring the power, but you got the authority. Don't ask me to come and do something I've already done. You're going to ask me to do I can't. When you ask me to do something I've already done, what you're doing, in essence, but in a little different context, you're, you're bringing me up again from that finished work or pulling me down from heaven saying, Lord, what you went through one time wasn't enough. Will you come and do a special work for me? Can I get my own do-over for Bronk Flint? Will you descend and ascend once again for me? And will you give to me a special privilege because I'm asking you to come? Would you come? No, he, he, no. He didn't tell his disciples. Find it. You, you go search Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't say, go. He said, go lay hands on them. Go heal them. Go and heal them. There's a big difference. If you go and he didn't say go and when you lay hands on them, ask the Father. <laughs> Gary Carpenter said, and you guys have heard him, he had a vision. I don't know if it was open. may have been an open vision, but he said, the Lord walked over while he's preaching, put his finger in the Bible, and interrupted him and said, I want to be believed. What does that mean? He wants to literally, I mean absolutely believe, us to believe that what he said in his word is true. When he says that he has released all authority to us, then all authority, uh, what we let slip sometimes seems minuscule. It seems minuscule, but they are the very truths that hold our victory. Sometimes we think that's ah uh, that's you're you're really trying to preach on something good you know you found something to preach on that's good I really appreciate that that'll that's that's really good no 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 
that's not a concept. That's not just a concept. That's an absolute truth. Understanding his authority that's already been given to us is an absolute truth. He sent his disciples, as I said, to heal the sick, not to pray for them. Prayer often, and I'll help people with this because they're like, wait a minute, I thought prayer was, no. What we're trying to, what we're telling you is prayer, not the prayer of request, not the prayer of asking God, will you heal? Prayer often involves the mindset of asking for something, but prayer for the sick or receiving our own healing is an act of enforcing the standing that we have already that we already have through our authority. Well, somebody says, and, and, and I think it would be a good question, well, what about asking, seeking, and knocking? Don't we ask, seek, and knock? Luke eleven nine. and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. What we're asking for there is the bread of heaven, which is the Holy Ghost, okay? And we're not asking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost for praying in tongues. We're asking for the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to come and enforce in us all that Christ did and bring the atmosphere of heaven. That's what we're asking for, to enforce that. Now, listen, when somebody says, and I've said it before, and I'm, I'm, this is, I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just saying this is where it comes across, and sometimes this is where we really mean it sometimes, and this is where the correction has to be. When someone says, I'm waiting for the manifestation in my body, it can be meant and or interpreted I'm waiting for the power of God to come and heal my body. And again, I would say we are not waiting on God to do something that he has already completed. In other words, saying that or now if you're saying I'm waiting on God, I'm spending waiting like spending time. And through that, I know that I'm exercising that authority. But if you're thinking that he's coming from a place that that healing has not the the authority for him to heal you is coming from a place where you're waiting on him uh we we're not waiting on god we're waiting on ourselves what we're really saying is that this is what we're really saying when we say we're waiting on god if we do use that terminology maybe we don't use that kind of terms but when we're what we're really saying is I'm waiting for me in my, my faith to truly believe. I'm waiting for me or my faith to truly line up with God or come to a place of maturity. Can I get an amen? And let me say this. Never concede that something is not in the process the moment you pray. Don't ever do that. If you're walking around with an ouch or an ooey or something in your body or that has not yet fully been, don't you ever think that it's going to, that you're in a process, that, you're, that, you, that when you prayed then, that something is not continually being changed. In other words, don't, don't be believing that some kind of manifestation, I'm, I wasn't feeling the manifestation. When you pray, believe that you receive it. Not just in the spirit, believe you receive it in the natural. Believe that the, something in the molecules of the changing of the back or the changing of the eyes or 
even if it's itsy bitsy bitsy pieces of it every single day, believe that it's in a place of progress. There is a 30, there is a 60, there is a hundredfold. I'm standing here with places in my body that I'm believing God for. They're not my faith that is in the process of maturing has not brought it into a hundredfold, but it's not in a zero position. I don't care if I don't even feel it. It's being worked on. It's being worked on. It's being changed. Oh, it's been changed in the spirit. No, it's being changed in the natural too. Some things are being changed in the natural. They're always being changed. I get excited. Instantaneous answers. Well, that's where we're headed. We like instantaneous answers, don't we? Instantaneous answers are delivered, are developed. Instantaneous answers are developed by people who learn how to fight for every square inch of victory. If you're a person that believes like, I'll pray and then I'll kind of, I'm waiting for the full manifestation of it and it's going to come in, but I'm going to live in this place of in between is just going from nothing to everything. No, we're scrappers. We're scrappers, right? Turn to somebody and say, I'm a scrapper in the spirit. It means your fight for every square inch. But that fighting for every square inch gets us, it'll bring us to a place where we get instantaneous stuff all the time. Now let me get specific on some other stuff that's really good because I love this part of my life. It's called intimacy and worship. But this is where people can sometimes be, can uh, get, Paul said, perplexed but not in despair. And you know, you know you don't understand this, but yet you're not in despair. In other words, you're not going to give up on God. Listen to this. No amount of intimacy, you know, when I say intimacy, I'm talking about worship, private worship. No amount of intimacy transfers the believer's authority. The believer's authority has already been transferred. Intimacy embellishes it or empowers the existing authority by bringing your level of faith higher in other words you sit in his presence you worship him for an hour his presence comes upon you it didn't transfer the authority that authority has already come to you as a believer what authority authority to cast out sickness out of your own body or disease what praising him and worshiping him does, and it embellishes that faith, you go to a place in him where your faith is lifted up through fellowship so that you then, because always, it always goes back to you. It always goes back to me. He's never going to do it for you. He's never going to do it. He's always expecting. Do You know, when you got born again, just like you got full righteousness, you got the authority of God. That's when it came. And as I said, there's a parallel truth of uh, an increasing anointing as growing sons. That's another subject. That's another title or another subject for another night. Intimacy embellishes or empowers the existing authority by bringing your level of faith higher. So now you can do something about infirmity through your authority. 
But you, the believer, still has to be the one through your authority to enforce the authority you have over sickness. Jesus will not do it for you. You have to do it yourself. Now, Pastor, I'm following you pretty good, but can you help me out here? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. That's why, this is what I'm talking about. That's why you can have an intimate love affair with Jesus in worship. Weep. I'm not making fun now. This is weep and cry and fill all of his emotions of his love in the midst of sickness or your infirmity and yet come out of that session and still have all the symptoms of sickness. The presence of God in that is for him, for me, to do something about it, not for him to do something about it. You say, well, that's just a, no, that's not a play. All of that presence embellishes everything that's already been given to me, which right now the subject matter is authority. Because you know this, as I just read, every single one of us has sat in his presence in the midst of sickness, infirmity, high fevers, hard times, felt his presence, felt his love. This is when we can be perplexed. We can think, Jesus, you and I just spent an hour of intimacy. I felt your love. I heard your voice and received instructions. I knew how important it, that I was to you. you. You let me know how important I was to you and to the Father. And yet the symptoms are still here. If you're not careful, you'll feel confused. Lord, were, were we not just together in an intimate fellowship? Why didn't you heal me completely? And we go back to, Ro to Romans 10. He already has. He's still looking to you, even in the intimacy, to stand there or sit there and enforce the position of authority that you have over sickness. I've sat before through the years and said, Lord, I feel your presence so, so, so strong. And I want you to know something. In essence, I, I, I know there's been times where I've said, Lord, I might come out of this and still have to continue to fight this thing. But I want you to know, see, if there was ever a person that I can salute with all my heart is our, my pastor, Dave Roberson. If ever a man taught us to continually know this, that he's always done everything that he could ever do for us, both then and now. And if he can't do more for us, it's not because of his willing unwillingness it's because we're just not yet developed enough or transformed enough what i'm saying if ever a man helped us take the blame off of god and square our soul shoulders and as i said there's been times i've said lord i don't understand this i don't understand it gobs of your presence and yet the fight's still there 
But I want you to know something. What you did was a completed work. You transferred all authority over to me. So it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's still up to me. And, the, and, the, and for whatever reason why, this thing is still in front of me. It's only a living testimony that I've got to go to a place in development to where that the authority that you give, gave to me comes to full 100% authority. Is in intimacy beneficial <laughs> in healing? Oh, my God, absolutely. Because it brings, as I said again, forward our position of faith so that we can do something about it. If we do something about it uh, and it doesn't go away, like if we do speak to the mountain, if it doesn't go away immediately, then it's a situation of, it's just a situation of transformation. Because you, see, here's the thing. You'd think with, I'm using the word gobs, a bunch of presence, as much as you knew that that presence was there, you'd think when that cloud left, you'd think the infirmity would be gone. Well, God, what's, what'd you do? We hung out and you didn't, you didn't take this? I don't understand. So you'd say, see, he sits. Now, I know y'all think I'm weird, but that's good. Y'all must be weird because y'all come here. He sits on my couch every day. Now, I know that Jesus, the glorified man, doesn't sit there, but the Holy Spirit in fashion brings a presence that brings a reality to Christ. And I talk to him, and he talks back to me. I can just hear his voice so clear and all the glory to God. But I know that after he leaves, and we have some wonderful sessions at times, that the challenges that he leaves me with, uh, he would have taken, he, not he would have taken, in all reality to him, those things were solved 2,000 years ago. He not only loves me as a friend, he loves me and looks at me like, You're a general. I expect you, and he, he looks at all of us like this with integrity. I expect you to act like you have integrity. Babies want me to cross a line. Grace lines in churches. Now, they did say that the elders could pray over somebody if they couldn't get sickness you know what the elders were supposed to do if you couldn't get sickness off your own self the elders could gather around you and get it help get it off of you but if he ever leaves me and i'm still and, and and he doesn't leave me you know what i'm saying i have session after session every week and i'm still fighting certain things oh i'm not sick i'm not you know there's no major pain in my, there's just some things i want fixed in my body and they will be, and they are, present tense. But he's already done it. And the baton, the baton has already been passed over to me. He's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I'll, you, you, you exercise the authority, and then I'll come with the, the full-blown power, who is the Holy Ghost. 
if these things don't happen, then transformation, if, in other words, if you speak to the mountain, it doesn't happen, that doesn't mean something is not happening, it is. But all that means is transformation still has to take place. I'll try to move on here real quick, but we're still doing good. And in and, and, and this sense of the word, for all of us, an intimate worshiper can die without fasting and prayer. Uh, in other words, we need all the limbs. Remember, fasting's twofold. Fasting is not only the scourging post that cleanses, cleanses the flesh, but it's also the remedy that casts out doubt and unbelief. This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So you need all of it. You need every single limb. They say, well, what about, is there a priority limb? Dave would say the priority limb is praying in tongues. Because it's through praying in tongues that you will get a revelation of all the, the rest. And coupled with that is the word of God. But then again, if you don't pray in tongues, you can be real dumb concerning the word of God. Say stupid stuff. Real stupid stuff. I mean, you can read the word all day long and don't pray in tongues. And just say stuff like somebody that knows what it means like, What? <laughs> Seriously? Sometimes infirmities can stay because we are not aggressive or angry enough about it. You don't have to turn here. But Matthew 21, and we're kind of winding down now. Matthew 21, 12 says this, And Jesus went into the temple, cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the, and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Glory to God. But before he healed them, do you, do you see that? Okay, well, I'm gonna, do you see that Jesus was ticked off? He was. He's this not passive. He had an angry. He was. He was furious at the idols in the temple, the merchandising, and all of that. And uh, see, anger in the anger. You can get all the anger in the natural you want, and it's not going to do anything. You can get to have a temper tantrum in the natural concerning your infirmity, and it won't do anything. But if you get angry enough in the spirit man and say enough is enough, aggressive. See, I love Kenneth Hagin, and you've heard me say this before, and I've heard him say it. He used to say, you know, uh, he would tell you the man had a memory. It was, my God, he would tell you where he was at what time of day on every year of his life almost. I mean, he could tell you, and, and he'd say, I haven't had a headache in the last, you know, 45 years uh, and, or whatever, something like that. And he said, I haven't had, he said, I've never, and, and he said, but I'll tell you this, I've had plenty of opportunities, plenty of opportunities. And he would tell you, that the way he handles it, one of the ways that he handles it, and I think we're all trying to get there, and still some of us, you know, you may have a fight even trying to do this because it is a progression of, but he said that when it, when it starts, just, he would said when I'd, I'd pull out of the parking lot, and it just that first little, hmm, 
See, sometimes we're like, mm, I hope this goes away. Or you get that little scratch in your throat. I don't know what that is. I hope that, yeah, cough drop. He, said, he would jump on it like a chicken on a June bug. With aggressive, no, 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 no. No, you're not going to come on my body and just talk to it just like it was a man. You're not going to come on my body. You're not going to, headache, I'm just speaking to you right now. You're not, he'd jump up from the, I mean, right to start, not give it. You know, if the longer you give something to set in, it gets hard. You give it, you give it even an hour to set in, it gets hard to get out. Then you're grabbing hands full of a leave or Advil and, and then you don't know what your name is and you don't even know what Jesus' name is. And jump on the thing like it is a monster when it comes, when it just comes. I'll read this and then we'll close. This is John G. Lake. This is just part of, this is uh, from an excerpt from, I, just, I need to give this man, Shane Rowley. I don't know him, so I'm not verifying him, but this part I'd read before, so I felt comfortable with it. The life and story of John G. Lake. John G. Lake was born in Ontario, Canada in March 18th. 1870 he was a family man a person of integrity honor a savvy businessman and good father if you knew him he wouldn't uh, you wouldn't otherwise know that he would soon become one of the greatest men of God the world has ever known he had a genuine love for the Lord Jesus and was known by his friends as a man who dedicated himself to intimacy with the Lord it was out of this place that he loved his wife, was a man of integrity and built a very successful business career. To give you a perspective, by 1905, John G. Lake was making 50000 per year. This sum would be like upwards of $1.3 million per year annually today. John grew up in a family environment which was plagued with sicknesses, or sickness and disease. It is said that his earliest memories were of sickness, death, and funerals. Lake was from a large family. He had 16 siblings, eight of which tragically died of various diseases. It is no coincidence that the man of healing was tormented from a young age with death and disease. The enemy will often opposed destinies with radical circumstances through a distortion of the very thing that we are called to walk in. Lake was exposed to dramatic healing when he visited John Alexander Dowie's ministry and was in a prayer was in prayer instantly healed of rheumatism which had called which had caused his legs to grow incorrectly. Just two short years into their marriage, Jenny Lake was diagnosed with tuberculosis and heart disease. Over the next couple of years, the condition worsened and the doctors resigned 
to the fact that it was only a matter of time before she would die. John allowed this situation to provoke him into faith. After being exposed to such death and disease from a young age, he had a hatred for such things. He would read the word of God. He would read the word of God. He saw that his Christian experience, it, oh, when he read the word of God, when he read the word of God, he saw that his Christian experience was less than the promised power of the Holy Spirit. As Jenny was on her deathbed and perhaps taking her final breaths, Lake was overcome with anger over sickness and threw his Bible against the fireplace mantle. How many have ever just got so, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, can I get a witness? When he went to pick up his Bible, it was open to the fire, on the fireplace mantle and he went to pick up his Bible. It was open to Acts chapter 10:38, which says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, power, with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Lake had a surge of faith in that moment and sent a telegram to Dowie asking him to pray. Within an hour, Dowie praying, she was fully healed. Not long after Jenny was healed, God began to speak to Lake about going to the, into full-time ministry. After some time of contemplation and seeking the Lord, God confirmed to John and Jenny to separately, to set, uh, separately that they were to move to South Africa and begin their life ministry. Um, so it goes on. There's a lot of wonderful stuff. But again, uh, ending tonight's lesson. Sometimes until we get, now this is part of it, but of course we talk mostly on authority, but in t sometimes until we get angry and aggressive and say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I just refuse. I'm going to, and, and Jesus, I don't have to ask your permission. You're, I'm not at, you don't have to come and, and, and give me something you've already done. This authority has already been given to me. Intimacy doesn't bring it. Uh, anything that you have to go and do it again, intimacy will embellish it. It'll prepare me to say, man, I want to walk out of here and chase devils with a switch. But Lord, I don't have to wait on this. I can aggressively stand up on a daily basis and call those things that be not as though they were. Amen. Let's all stand together. Thank you. And thank you for all those that are listening. Thank you for all your giving. We bless you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so we really, very, very critical. They're taking her to Miami. That's the young lady that we prayed for. Okay. Her. So let's, let's just pray again. I don't have any problem with that. Let's just continue to, uh, when I say pray, let's, okay. Yep. Here's a picture. And they have just, she looks fully formed. But they have got every kind of tube in the world. Um, what's her name again? Wilda. Wilda. Hallelujah. Those of you who are watching, come on and help us now. We get a chance to call this baby healed. 
Wilda, in Jesus' name, I command you to live and not die. I command your heart and lungs and everything about you to continue to stay alive. Will to live in Jesus' name. Life be into her body. I command life. And I release. No, we won't doubt. We will not fear. But we say in Jesus' name, Wilda, raise up and be healed. We receive the good report. Our hope is seeing Wilda. Our hope is seeing Wilda. Our hope is seeing Wilda alive here coming to this church. We see her alive, Lord. This is our hope. This is our hope. We add this hope to faith. We speak it and see it, Lord. We speak it and see it, Lord. We speak it and see it, Lord. Wilda will live and not die. And come here and be one of the little children that we'll see one day and dedicate to the Lord in Jesus' name by his stripes. Wilda, I call you healed. And even as they're transferring you over to Miami, you're going to make the, the journey and they're going to attend to you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. My goodness, she's just all formed, even at that age. Praise God. Glory be to God. Well, we love all of you. We bless you. Father, bless everybody. And bless everybody that watched tonight. Thank you for taking us to the next level. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen.